Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to you to this uh, Be Thinking talk, which is part of our events week. You've all seen the postcards and the different events we've been having. Uh, so tonight is Saturday the 5th. We have the Be Thinking talk. Uh, you might be interested, uh, we're also having tomorrow, uh, uh, on Sunday at 11 o'clock, our meeting here will be following the, the same theme as this evening about the heart. So you might like to come along to that tomorrow. And then in the evening, we have a very special event at 6 o'clock. We have an Any Questions. So if you have any questions relating to the theme, or maybe not even relating to the theme, um, we'll have a, a, a panel up here, and people can ask their questions, and we'll see what sort of answers they give. Uh, what we say is we don't know all the answers, but we're not afraid of the questions. So you're very warmly welcome to come along tomorrow morning and tomorrow evening. So, uh, but this evening is a, 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 a Be Thinking talk. Uh, that title takes its name from a website called bethinking.org. Is it .org or .org.uk? .org. And uh, our speaker is the founding editor of, the, of that website. Uh, and you might like to look at it. It's got some excellent things on it. Well, let me just introduce uh, Tom Price. We're really pleased to have you with us for these few days. Tom's uh, been with us yesterday and uh, uh, helped us with a film discussion, which was an excellent time. Been with us for the men's breakfast, so we've fed you this morning. And um, he's going to uh, lead this talk. Tom is um, an educator in sort of spirituality and philosophy, and he goes around to all sorts of places, including universities. So he's very well qualified to do this talk. Can we give him a little ripple of welcome as he comes to speak? Thank you very much. It's really great to be with you again this evening. All of us, each one of us, is committed to something. Every single one of us is committed to something. We all get an essential sense of being valuable, being distinct, being important from somewhere or something in our lives. What are you committed to? That's what I want to think about this evening. What am I committed to? What are you committed to? C.S. Lewis, the writer of the um, Chronicles of Narnia, once wrote this. What does not satisfy when we find it was not the thing we were desiring. It's a fascinating quote and goes in so many different ways for us. I want to start off this evening by looking at a film called 13 Conversations About One Thing. It was written by and directed by Jill Sprecher, who, um, after graduating with a degree in philosophy and literature, decided to write a film after working as a production manager and a line producer. The film is all about happiness. It's a series of conversations, a series of discussions about happiness. Before we watch a clip, let me just say, some of you don't have English as a first language, so I have the potential to talk rather fast sometimes and sometimes use big words unfortunately what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to wave at me if you don't understand and then I'll just rewind a little bit and try and explain what, I, what I've said don't feel embarrassed about doing that you'll help me to be able to make myself clearer so 
In the first scene of the film, 13 Conversations About One Thing, a couple called Patricia and Walker have a conversation that goes along these lines. Patricia says, what is it that you want? And Walker replies, what everyone wants, to experience life, to wake up enthused, to be happy. As the clip goes on, it follows through to a conversation between two men at a bar. One man is optimistic, hopeful about being able to find happiness in life. The other man is slightly more cynical about being able to find happiness in life. After they've played the clip, we're going to talk to each other. We're going to talk to our neighbours, talk to the people next door to us about which of these different perspectives we think we might identify with or we think is more interesting or perhaps more true. I'll leave you to watch the clip. Jean and Troy there having a conversation about hope and love and um, the possibility of happiness. Troy says, um, I earned it. I worked hard. I put in the hours. I fought well. I went to court and I won. And Jean says, show me a happy man and I'll show you a disaster waiting to happen. Just turn to the person sitting next to you and talk about who you think is right. Is Troy right? You, you can work hard and, and get happiness through doing well, through fighting well, through doing the right thing perhaps. Or Jean saying, actually happiness is unachievable. Happiness, show me a happy man and I'll show you a disaster waiting to happen. I'll give you a couple of minutes to talk about that with the person sitting next to you. Okay, I'd like to try and collect some of your points of view now, if that's possible. Who'd be willing to tell me what you were talking about and, 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 and what your, some of what your conclusions were? Great, thank you. What other things were you talking about? Did you believe that happiness was possible? It's going to get you for the recording. There are probably half-truths in both of those. Mm. There are shades of truth in both of those because um, if you, if it's better to work at something than not to work at something, but ultimate happiness is not necessarily achievable through work. And at the same time, ultimate happiness is not achievable com absolutely and completely in this life. So both are true in some senses. Okay, <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, both of you, for your views. This next clip shows um, the chap willing, winning the lottery, uh, as Jean described it. Um, after that, we'll have a conversation and a discussion about um, is happiness just about enjoying ourselves or is there something deeper to happiness? So here's the clip. Okay, turn to the people around you. And um, is happiness all about enjoying ourselves or is it something deeper? What do you think will make you happy in life? What do you think will make you happy in life? And why do you think that will make you happy in life? I'll give you a few minutes to talk about that with your neighbour. Okay, let's try and talk about these questions together. What sort of, what sort of answers were you come up, coming up with? What sorts of things were you saying to each other? I come to you. 
<laughs> the danger is if you nod at me, it's a bit like a um, bidding. Um, well, I, uh, I like things uh, on an ordinary level. I quite like my job, and I like um, uh, a number of things that I you know, quite like doing. On a more um, uh, exalted level, it's very difficult to define what would make you happy. I, I suppose you could say... Uh, relate it to God but that's um, almost you know losing yourself in things that you can't quite define so we, we ran to a gra- run aground there mm. thank you very much that's a great comment thank you what other things were you talking about what other definitions of happiness what other reflections were you sharing that, that for me is the problem I'm not quite sure what we mean by happy it can mean all kinds of things to different people it's one of these semantic things you know what does the dictionary define as happy or happiness so happiness probably is something deeper a bit like Steve was saying perhaps like contentment which has a kind of long term implication to it Uh, but then again people talk about enjoying life so they all have seem to have similar connotations but I don't really quite know what that word's supposed to mean Mm. anyway so I think it is entirely personal how about a strategy to be happy is it made difficult by not knowing what happy or happiness is what what sort of a strategy do you think will make us happy as human beings well I I don't even know whether you have to have a strategy or not I mean Mm. some people do have a strategy and have a goal and if they don't reach it, then they're not happy, they're, they're disappointed. So in that case, it may be linked to expectations. Mm. But if, like Rob was saying, talking on the day-to-day level, the normalities of life, he's happy doing that, then perhaps there aren't that many grand expectations, so there isn't disappointment, so actually, generally, you are happy. Mm. Mm. It just depends if you have expectations, I suppose. Mm. 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 Thank you very much. How about from you guys? Yeah. Would, would you be willing to share with us what you were saying? Uh, okay. Enjoying ourselves, to, uh, of course, we say happiness, but uh, if I have another people, we can also feel happier than enjoying ourselves. Mm. I think that is something deeper. Mm. So it has to do with relating to other people? Yes. Yes. In a particular way, relating to other people? Okay. That's something to think on, yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for your comments. Um, I hope we'll be able to talk more as we continue. I'd like this to be a dialogue rather than me talking towards you in one direction. I'd like it to be a two-way street, if that's possible. There is a sense that whatever position you're coming from, whether you're coming from a position of no religious beliefs, no spiritual beliefs or convictions, or strong religious beliefs or convictions, that as human beings, we are people who long for happiness. We seem to have a desire in us to be happy, to find happiness, and perhaps to make other people happy as well. We sometimes look to, um, to success to try and make us happy. 
We look to all sorts of different things to try and make us happy. Different kinds of success, obviously. Sporting success, perhaps success in a um, capitalistic um, enterprise sense. Sometimes we look to wealth um, as something that will make us happy. The idea that by acquiring things, by acquiring possessions, material possessions, we might make ourselves happy or happier. We might fill this longing for happiness. There's the idea that perhaps by having good health, we might find happiness. Or by having good experiences, um, experiencing wonderful things in life. That might not be so wonderful to you, bungee jumping from a uh, high tower. (laughs) It's not me. (laughs) I'm wondering what the one and the 68 on his hands mean. Whether that's the number of times he's bungee jumped that day or... (laughs) Who knows? Who knows what it means? Sometimes also we look to family and friends to make us happy, um, to family and community. And I think all of these things that I'm mentioning are good things. They're good things, worthwhile things. It's, It's worthwhile to work at being a success in what you do. It's worthwhile to work at earning money. It's worthwhile to work at your family and your community relationships and giving to people around you. There's also the idea of finding love as a way of finding long-lasting, meaningful happiness. Finding true love, perhaps. The whole idea of a true love experience. Perhaps by experiencing long-lasting love, we will um, fill this unquenchable or, or maybe we will quench this thirst in us for happiness. Others of us um, find ourselves drawn into retail therapy sometimes as a way of making ourselves feel better. I don't think this is just um, uh, uh, one sex or the other um, who get drawn into this. As a guy, I have to say that sometimes buying a new gadget, a new toy, maybe a new car or a new motorbike makes me feel really, I don't know, it sort of makes me feel good somehow. Some how buying things and acquiring things does make us feel good. I don't know why that is really, but um, it it can make us feel great. Well, this week has been about um, thinking about affairs of the heart. Um, That's the kind of the theme, the idea of this week is exploring what it means to have an affair in your heart, what it means to, to want various things in your heart and perhaps sometimes to find it difficult to choose. There are deep longings in our hearts I find deep longings in my heart for lots of different things in life. Perhaps gadgets, perhaps motorbikes, or perhaps love, perhaps happiness. And I've tried in many different ways um, to to try and fill those those thirsts, those longings. We all want to be happy, successful, intimate with others, healthy, safe, whole as people, not fragmented as people. We want to be attractive and popular, satisfied and content in a place that's home to us. But having said all that, I started off by saying that we're all committed to something. No one of us is free from being committed to something. We all are committed to some way of being happy. We all get a sense of value and a sense of being different and important and distinctive from somewhere or something. It doesn't matter what perspective we're coming from, we're all committed to something. What might you be committed to? Where do you get that strong sense of being valuable and meaningful from? Well, for C.S. Lewis, who is the guy who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, a sense of being meaningful, a sense of, um, of identity, a sense of purpose, 
was a very interesting subject for him. He, he was really interested in writing about this. When C.S. Lewis, he became a Christian when he was a professor of medieval literature at Oxford, the first book that he wrote was an allegory called The Pilgrim's Regress. It's not very well known, but it's a really interesting story. In the story, a traveller called John, a young man, has a vision. He sees through a hole in a wall, a brick wall, a vision of an island. He smells the smell of the sea. He hears the sound of some distant music. That sort of, he finds himself being drawn through this window towards this island. And it's as if somehow the island and this vision of the island is calling out to his own heart and soul. He finds that it awakens for him a longing, a, a deep buried longing perhaps, Lewis explores these longings in the book, The Pilgrim's Regress, and it's really interesting as he follows the story of John all the way through. Towards the end of the book, John meets a hermit called History, and History the Hermit explains to John some of what the longings in his heart are. He says there are three longings. There's the longing for home, a place that is safe and secure, a place with no death, a place with no pain. There's a longing deep down in John for intimacy, for love, for closeness with another person. A closeness that isn't satisfied by the romantic relationships that John has been involved in as he travels. And there's an inner longing for peace, a deep down longing for peace and purity that he finds within himself as well. well whatever you think of all of that, um, let me just go through part of what C.S. Lewis meant by this. By home he meant... It's broader than a physical dwelling, a place um, like a house. It's this place of refuge and safety where some of the worldly cares fade and the people that you love become a focus. In a way, perhaps some people have said that this is the kind of home that the human heart longs for. Perhaps the hope of heaven is this same hope. Jim Carrey recently said that honestly, what I really want now is to be happy, spiritually, at peace. With all his success, he finds inside his own heart a yearning, perhaps, to find some sort of peace, some sort of happy, spiritual experience. Terry Hatcher, with the renaissance of her career with the um, Desperate Housewives series, said, I never thought I'd be over 40 and have um, no one to go to dinner with, nor someone who loves me and whom I trust, but here I am, sad and true. Leading neurologist called Oliver Sacks, who's professor of neurology and psychiatry at Columbia, he's not a Christian believer. He, is, um, he, he, he doesn't have a Christian faith at all. He wrote this in his book, The Awakening. A very, very interesting thing to say. For all of us have a basic intuitive feeling that once we were whole and well, at ease, at peace, at home in the world, totally united with the grounds of being, and that we lost this primal, happy, innocent state and fell into our present sickness and suffering. We had something of infinite value, infinite preciousness and beauty, and we lost it. We spend our time, our lives, searching for what we have lost. Here's a clip from the film Alfie, where... Towards the end of the film, Alfie is experiencing the same longing 
for peace, for a sense of peace of mind in his own heart. Ernest Becker um, won the Pulitzer Prize for his book, The Denial of Death. In his book, he makes the point that every single person is searching for a cosmic significance. He says that our need for worth is so powerful, it's such a powerful driving force in us, that whenever we base our identity on something and our value on something, we essentially come to deify that which we base our identity and value on. We look at it with all the passion and intensity of worship and devotion, even if we have absolutely no spiritual or religious beliefs. I wonder what you think of that statement. I wonder what you think of his perspective there. At the end of, um, when I finish speaking in about 10 minutes, we're going to um, have the opportunity for you to ask questions, for us to have a, a more free-ranging discussion about anything, if you like, about any topic. But if you're interested in talking about what I've been talking about, then that would be great, too, to interact in that way and to hear your perspective. And it's absolutely fine to completely disagree. Any question, any objection is entirely welcome and allowed. That's absolutely fine. Tim Keller says that everyone gets their sense of identity, their sense of being distinct and valuable from somewhere or something. I said that we are all committed to something. Everyone gets our identity, our sense of being distinct and valuable from somewhere. Now, I find what Ernest Becker said, the quote I just read, um, interesting because as I come to this, I, I come to it as a Christian um, reading Becker, and it really gets me thinking. I, I wonder what you think when you read um, the quote that he um, wrote, the sorts of things that he says. And I'd really like to hear what you, your reaction is. For me as a Christian, when I come to read what he says about how we deify that which we base our identity on, even if we're of no religious or spiritual perspective, I tend to think about sin and about what sin means. And the first commandment in, of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. And for a lot of people, defining sin, understanding what sin is, is it sort of breaking the rules, it's, it's not doing the right thing, it's going against God's rules. Well, perhaps sin is not just about doing bad things, but making good things into ultimate things. Perhaps it's this process of deifying that which is not God, that which is good, that which is important, that which is valuable. Family and love and success and achievement, these things are valuable and good things, worth working for. But... As a Christian, I'm asking, could this become my God? Could I deify it? I'm wondering whether that would be the right thing to do. You might have a totally different perspective, but from the viewpoint of my Christian beliefs, the setting out or seeking to establish a sense of who I am, a sense of value, a sense of self, by making something else in my life more central to my significance and purpose and happiness is perhaps something that God might be concerned about, that God might be interested in, because in a way maybe we're rejecting, I'm rejecting God by making something else more important than him, putting something else in his place, something else where I draw my significance, my sense of purpose, my sense of meaning from. And maybe this is what the heart of what the Bible calls idolatry or having other gods. We base our identity and value, we essentially deify these things. This is exactly what Becker says. 
Our need for worth is so powerful that it almost happens automatically that we come to deify that which we put our identity and value upon. We may come to look at it with all the passion and intensity of religious devotion and worship. Tim Keller goes on to say that perhaps sin is the despairing refusal, not being willing to find your deepest identity in your relationship, in your engagement, in your relating to God. Perhaps sin is seeking to become yourself, to get an identity in one of the good things that we might turn into ultimate things. As I watched the clip from Alfie, I found that really interesting as well. Watching it as a Christian, I found that fascinating. Now, you might have a completely different take on what Alfie meant when he talked about not having peace, and if you haven't got that, you haven't got anything. But what I hear is this idea of human beings searching something that the Old Testament calls the shalom peace of God. It's very hard to describe what shalom is. We just went for a curry um, earlier in the evening, and sometimes when I've eaten really good food and I'm around people that I'm enjoying and like, and maybe I'm around my family at Christmas time, or maybe I'm around people who I feel close to, there's a sense of aha. And, and things are right with the world and, and, and things are at peace and, and, and there are no big barriers or troubles on the horizon. That's getting to what it means to talk about shalom in the Old Testament sense. According to the Bible, we're meant to experience shalom. And the Old Testament describes shalom as not just a, an intellectual idea of peace, but an, an experience of peace, an all-encompassing sense of well-being. And at the heart of it is a peace with God, um, It enables and propels true peace with others and it enables peace with ourselves too. In um, John chapter 14, Jesus says this. I got a bit ahead of myself. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each one of them. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Paul goes on later in the New Testament to describe how, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. And so the idea here is that we're all committed to something. Every single one of us is committed to something. And from Ernest Becker's perspective, if, if we're not careful, we can make good things ultimate things. And in making good things ultimate things, in, in getting a sense of identity and value and purpose from merely good things made into ultimate things, we run the risk of having a God in front of God where we draw our purpose and our sense of purposefulness from. But perhaps as human beings, we're searching for this shalom peace. Perhaps that's what we're looking for when we, when we look around for happiness in life. Perhaps the affairs of our hearts are reachings out in some way for a relationship that we were meant to experience with God, an all-encompassing relationship, not merely an intellectual ascent, but this shalom peace um, 
which is made possible through Jesus and his work on the cross. I wonder what you make of all that. It's a lot to digest. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot of stuff to claim without perhaps giving many reasons or evidences to claim it. You might feel that you'd like to know more about reason and evidence. You might feel that um, you might want to ask a question that's completely different. Why don't we get some coffee and, um, uh, and then we can sit down and we'll, we'll take some questions and we'll think through some of these things together. Okay, I think what we'll try and do is we'll try and start and then maybe the coffee will come. Sorry for luring coffee in front of you. Um, it will come and um, we'll have some refreshments so we can keep chatting. Who would like to ask a question or to reflect back on what you've heard? Um, maybe you have an opinion that you'd like to put forward. Um, what do you make of all of that? Do you think that, do you think that anything I've said is unreasonable or unfair? Um, What's your perspective? Please, Phil. It's really a question of clarification. Mm. When, when you said deify, yes. that's a word that we don't often use. Okay. But the word deify, you meant make something into God or treat something as if it is God. Yeah. Or relate to something in the way you would expect to relate to God. That, that, that's, have I understood that correctly? Thank you so much for clarifying. Yeah, thank you. That's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay, please, yeah. Go on. This is a literature question. Okay, yeah? okay. I'm very puzzled by these um, think magazines like Hello and Closer and so on, which is not a, not a genre that appeals to me, but... It's what seems like, I can understand, you know, that you want to look at celebrities and think, oh, they have such a happy life, that's something I want to aspire to. Yes. But that isn't what you get in them. What you get in them is, is how unhappy they are and all their like, things are going wrong and how they're getting drunk and so on. So what, it, what is the attraction of this magazine, these magazines? Is it schadenfreude or is it that you think you say, even though they're that well known? There's an anthropologist sitting behind you who's desperate to answer the okay. question. I'm speaking on behalf of my mother, who's not here. <laughs> yeah, she couldn't be with us this evening. Um, I know for many women who read these magazines that they get happiness out of seeing that other people aren't happy so they can feel better for themselves. It's kind of twisted. But my experience, female world, that's why they read these magazines, trash mags. So. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I think there's a bit more to it than that, actually. Um, I agree that some people do feel that way, but also there's um, a sense that there's an involvement in other people's lives, whether it's, um, you know, dealing with their problems. I mean, women love to talk about their problems, don't they, And when they get together. And possibly our um, society has gone... Um, you know, to the situation where, where women don't always have a close friend to talk to and, you know, this is sort of like a substitute for close friend, friendship where you can just talk about problems and involvement in other people's lives, albeit, you know, um, by proxy or, you know. Yeah, perhaps that actually you know, feeds into some of what we were talking about, about getting a sense of identity 
from other things. And maybe if we are some way involved with these celebrities because we know the intimacies of their private lives, then maybe that in some way alleviates our own value because we're sort of, we might feel like we're in their inner circle in some way or that we know them. Yeah, go on. I was just going to say this. I think there's an element of voyeurism as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, what does the word mean, voyeurism? Um, looking in Explain on it for somebody looking in from the outside. Well, I think voyeurism is a sort of um, being nosy about somebody else's life being able to look in on somebody else's life um, when actually you don't know them. Yeah. Um. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Thanks. Please. Uh, I, I have uh, one Muslim, boy, Muslim friend in my class and uh, every Friday, he go to mosque to pray, and he mustn't drink any alcohol in his country, Saudi Arabia. He said, if he don't go mosque, or if he drink alcohol, he feel guilty. I think that reason, that reason he feel guilty, uh, he's not sure whether uh, whether he he died after he died, whether he will go to heaven or not, mm. I think. But Christian believe there will be heaven after they died. Mm. After they died, I think that's best happiness as Christian. <laughs> yeah. About that, I think, I think you answered your own question um, in, in quite a precise way. Um, I suppose that the experience that is available to somebody who starts to experience this shalom peace of God that we were talking about, it's not pie in the sky when you die. It's not only for the afterlife, it's, but it's for now too. Um, the Bible talks about how we will know God walking with us um, now. We'll be aware of him, we'll be aware of his presence, we'll be aware of his care, of his interest in us in a moment-by-moment, day-to-day way. And that, I think, does give you, if you're experiencing that, can you imagine how that gives you a confidence about what will happen later? It, give you, it answers the question of what will happen to me with a profound hope and a hope that's very tangible if, if that's your ongoing experience. Are there any other reflections or comments or questions? Yeah, please. It's just a word I mentioned earlier, um, this word contentment. Hmm. Now, I, I did always think that that was perhaps the key word, you know, something that was related perhaps to this shalom because mm. so, a contentment doesn't need anything else you, it's, it's your, you're at that point and even Paul says you know I've learnt the secret of contentment whether mm. in much or in little etc etc mm. so that, that sounds like a, a shalom sort of thing and mm. yet 
I've met people who don't have a Christian faith and therefore don't have an assurance of things to come and yet they've expressed uh, a real contentment with their life uh, so that's, that's rather a strange thing but I suppose as a Christian myself I would have to assume something else is going on there whether it is actually a denial of things and not even thinking beyond the now then maybe one could say yeah I feel content um, but again it's, it's the use of language isn't it people can use that word yeah. to mean something that uh, well the Bible doesn't necessarily mean of course yeah I think um, as, it, as valuable as experience is and as wonderful as experience is that we do have to be quite careful if we evaluate if we judge the truth of something only on the basis of subjective experience and feelings can be, could be quite funny I think um, merely just from a philosophical point of view um, that, that it could be quite dangerous actually it's not a very it's not a very good way to work out what's happening or what's true by just going how you, how you feel or by just by the experiential and I think it's very good to line up um, different streams of evidence different streams of, of, of confirmation and authority um, that will inform our convictions I would agree but I mm. think you know the ordinary person on the street if you like would count experience as something that's real mm. that's reality mm. for them mm. and so you know that's something for them that therefore is a fact I've experienced it and that's it that's what I'm going to measure things by mm. but then uh, the thing is is reality truth and I don't think it is mm. there's a difference between reality and, and truth mm. I think mm. and I, that's where I think mm. there is a divergence between the two okay at least the reality that they experience or at least the, the reality that they yeah. think they're experiencing exactly. yeah. yes yeah. of course yeah go for it yeah please yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say I, I think the um there is a danger in saying that being a Christian makes you happy because there are lots of Christians for one reason or another aren't, who aren't happy. Yep. Um, I mean, C.S. Lewis, one of his most famous books, of course, was about grief. True. Um, and shalom, I think, is not quite the same thing as happiness anyway. Mm. Uh, it's not an English concept, is it? The Germans talk about Heimat, which is closer, I think. But... Mm. Um, but the, well, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, I mean, in what sense was Job happy, and what sense was Jeremiah happy? Mm. Well, they weren't, of course, and yet you could say, in a sense, they had that peace. Mm. So I think, you know, if, you're, if one's going to say that, well, I, I don't, you can say that Christianity makes you happy. I mean, you have to explain what it is. What, you know, I mean, what Jesus says, I give you peace, peace, peace of mind, as you said. Mm. You never mm. said it was going to make you happy. Mm. Yeah, it, perhaps the terminology here is difficult because happy is so loaded yeah. as, a, as a very feelings-focused thing. Uh, I must always be happy, you know. But actually, perhaps we're talking about a deeper definition of happiness. Philip, please. 
Um, I think time frame is important. There's how, how things are now, how we feel about them now, how things will be in the future, how we will feel in the future. So I, I, uh, Steve was saying that Christianity doesn't make you happy. I think I disagree with that. I think the, the basic promise of Jesus is that you will be happy, um, but not necessarily straight away all the time. Mm. I think that, that there is a uh, Christianity promises a, a fulfillment of all longings, which I think you could rightly describe as happiness. Mm. So, uh, I mean, speaking as a Christian, I read in, in the Bible that one day there will be no pain or sorrow or tears. But that at this present time, there still is pain and there still is sorrow and there still is tears. But it's not the same with Jesus. That's a, it's a, one copes with it and approaches it and even experiences it in a different way than without Jesus. Yeah. So uh, I think there's a sense in which we, we have a peace now, even despite other things going on. Mm. And in the future, there's a fulfillment of that. So as a Christian, that's the way I would look at mm. that time frame thing. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Would anybody else like to continue the same thread or... Um, did you want to ask a different question? Maybe you've got a question that was always on your mind that you wondered if a Christian would ever let you ask that question. Um, can I invite you? Can I dare to invite you to ask a difficult question, perhaps, that you um, haven't asked before? Please. This isn't on that. I was just thinking, in relation to C.S. Lewis's list of three longings, Yes. From a Christian perspective, could you look at them in relation to God? So, kind of being God, making it kind of being at home with God and being a peace of mind with God and intimacy in a sense. So, or not just C.S. Lewis's list of longings, if you could look at longings in a general sense, if from a Christian perspective, as maybe another way to relate with God. I mean, I'm sure we can get really philosophical and say it's all about God, but of course, there is a material world out here we have to relate longings to as well. But if you can double them up and also say these longings can be applied to a kind of spiritual sense, and you look and can look at all these things, longings for happy, I don't know, peace, love, intimacy, closeness, I don't know, friendship, you can all apply them to a way one might look at God. Do you think that that might um, inform the way that we relate with God? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm saying... I'm saying that these desires are all things related to the material world or just things that exist, so people, friends, things we can see around us. But you can want these things... I mean, I know that's just a good way of maybe looking at something which you can't see with your own eyes, something which you have to imagine. Hmm. So I know I'm thinking maybe it's just a nice way of kind of thinking about God. If you look at longings we have in the real world, in the material world, whatever, and then applying them to God. Lewis felt that um, Dante was the greatest poet that had ever um, written anything. And um, he talked about how um, Dante's writing, um, m some of it, Lewis felt, made the point that if the romantic longing, if the longing for intimacy is appropriately followed, then that can open up, that can flower with God's work and his help 
into relationship with God. So by perhaps following the um, sunbeam up to the sun, we, um, we can begin to engage with God in a more human way, a more tangible way, a more, more sort of real way perhaps. Yeah, so thank you. That, that's actually it's really um, useful. Um, okay, any other questions? Yeah, please. Thank you. Please. I, I happen to remember this. Uh, one thing that C.S. Lewis said, I think it might have been in A Grief, Grief Observed. He said, It's no use knocking at heaven's door for earthly comfort. It's not what they offer there. And I think that, that relates to happiness. Mm. Because you, you wouldn't necessarily expect your grief to be assuaged, um, certainly not instantly, or your problem solved instantly. That, that's not quite the sort of peace that God offers. But um, I wouldn't really be able to define exactly what peace is offered. But it's not, it's not yeah, the same no, thing, is it? I don't think any one of us would disagree with you because I'm sure there are moments in all of our lives where we've gone through really hard times and we've sort of said, God, you know, take this away. Make me feel better. Make me happy right now. Yes. And that's sort of perhaps maybe what, what I feel Lewis was getting at by the yes. quote that you mentioned. Lewis also said that... Um, that sometimes suffering and sometimes God allowing us to go through things points out to us that something's wrong with the world. That if everything was, if, if nothing was, if there was no pain, if there was, if there were no mourning, if there was no trouble ever, if we, if we never experienced any lack of anything, then perhaps we would never realise that there was, there had been something that went wrong with the world. Chesterton talks about it in terms of that there was this golden ship that went down earlier in the world's history. And perhaps we would have never been aware of the, of, of, of the crash, of the fall. Um, and that's what sort of Lewis is trying to get at, I think, by saying that something's happened and something's gone wrong with the world. It, it, it's in a sort of fallen and a broken state, both broken in terms of our relationship with God, but also in terms of our relationships with each other and our relationships with ourselves and the, and the environment as well and the planet. That is, that's a really um, great point to leave things on, I think. Thank you so much for making it. Thank you very much for coming um, this evening. I hope it's been interesting to you. Just going to um, give the microphone back to Philip, who will just tell you very quickly. Did you have something you wanted to say? Yes. Did you? Okay, well, go on, please. Let's carry on. Um, I, uh, I think when most people do good thing, they... Um, they can happier, but uh, when someone um, when someone slander another people or stab on another people, also they can feel happier. Mm. We can can we say that's happiness? Mm. Mm. I just wonder. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there again, the danger of experience as the only. Um, point where we choose feelings as, as, as the only point where we choose what's true and real yeah yeah thank you it, it's very useful thanks very much for coming this evening oh okay yeah please yeah okay I want to uh, uh, ask one question for please, you yeah. Not for, for you or for the group but uh, maybe uh, before I want to explain my my opinion. I, I think oh, I, I, I think that 
uh, maybe one person, it's, it's different one person who have uh, something to believe or something for wake up every morning for fighting the life that not, don't have anything. And I, I, I want to ask if you think that it's important, the difference, because we are talking about the happiness and how can uh, we catch or touch the happiness. And I want to ask if you uh, think that it's better think in the happiness or not think in the happiness. Because it's true, it's, it's difficult because uh, you can uh, think that if you think in the happiness and okay, how I can do it, but maybe if you think a lot, you don't have happiness. And it's real uh, a difference in the people who not think only life and people who think and try to catch the happiness. What? Because uh, it's always the, I, I, I have uh, heard this ask, uh, I, sorry, this question or this uh, subject many times that it's better know or not know for life. Do you know? Mm. I can't speak very well. It's better to know or now. Oh? Say the last bit again, please. Just the last bit. It's, uh, it's better life knowing, no, knowing, knowing. The, the, the things or, or thinking, and, or maybe it's better only life and not know anything, you know? Maybe, have you seen, for example, uh, the, the film uh, show, Truman Show? Yeah. It's yes. better than Truman know or not know. Good, yeah, good. Because he can be happy. Yeah, so Truman, the Truman Show film, for those of you who haven't seen it, Truman is um, born on camera, and he never, until he's an adult, finds out that he is in a TV show. Everybody that he knows, even his wife, everyone around him is an actor or an actress. It's all a complete soap opera, and his life is broadcast out to the whole country, to the world. Everybody's watching it in lots of different countries. It's the most popular TV show ever. And it, it's all about, does he want to find out what's true? Does he want to escape? Does he, does he want to be, perhaps risk not being as happy, but no reality? There's the story I remember that, that's told of a, it's a fictional story um, about a guy called One Mug. And One Mug is a, um, a student. Let's say he's a student here at the University of Sussex. One Mug goes and he starts to study physics. And at the end of his first year exams, he scores five marks out of 500 in a multiple choice questionnaire. One Mug got into Sussex on a sports scholarship. He's not a very bright guy. He's not a very smart person. So the professors all sit down and have a meeting. What are we going to do with this guy? He's not very smart. So they decide to begin to trick him into thinking that he is the most brilliant student that has ever been to Sussex University. They begin a campaign of deception. The next term, one mug goes into a lesson and he raises his hand and he asks a question. And it is a ridiculous question. It's a silly question. But the professor stops the lecture and says, one mug, that is the best question I have ever heard. I'm going to write a book and three research papers to answer your question. 
the year goes on and Wanmug's deception continues. He continues to be given brilliant marks, thinking that he is getting better and better at the subject. Well, eventually he graduates from his degree. He gets a first, which is the top mark you can get. The professors sit down and have another meeting when Wanmug decides to stay on and do an MA and then a PhD. Eventually, the campaign is continuing and Wanmug has become a professor in fact, he doesn't know anything about the subject that he teaches on, and all of his students have to go to another lecturer afterwards. He's supervising 25 different doctoral dissertations a year, and the British government are flying him all over the world to consult on special problems in his field. Time and Newsweek interview one mug, and they um, interview him, and they're in on the scam too. Everybody is in on the scam. Everybody is telling one mug he is brilliant, but in reality, he doesn't know anything that he's talking about. He's talking dribble. One mug reads his own interviews in Time and Newsweek. He puts them down, looks into the air, and says, Scintillating. I am so interesting. The sort of thoughts that go through one mug's head, the sort of thoughts that one mug thinks in his heart are. My life is meaningful and has purpose. I do work that is important to people and helps people. I love the people around me. I am loved by the people around me. I'm living a meaningful and important life. He genuinely believes these things. And the question is, would you choose one mug's life if you had the choice? Would you choose to live his life knowing, you wouldn't know, but knowing at this point, at the point of choice, that it was a complete deception? Would you choose, perhaps you have children or perhaps you have children one day, would you choose to allow them, to put them into the system where they could be one mug and live his life? What would you choose? But not all. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, not all there. Okay. But uh, this question about the children. Would you, yeah, would you choose to be one mug? One? One mug, the guy who is tricked. Or would you choose for, if you had children, would you choose for them to be the, pers the person who is tricked? Yeah. Would you choose a life of deception but happiness for your child? Deception and happiness, and, and the other? Truth. Truth. Mm. For my child. Mm. And you? No, yeah. it's different. I think. Mm. For me, the truth, of course. Mm. I think that my son has to choose, not I. Yeah. Good answer. So if we're saying that we wouldn't, if you're sitting here thinking, I'm attracted to one mug's life, but I wouldn't choose it. What you're really saying is this. You're saying that there's one more thing that's more important than whether or not something works for you or makes you feel happy, and that's whether or not it's true. The Matrix is about that. I mean, the Matrix is about what seems to be a perfectly normal real life, but the whole thing is a Yeah, it's, it's certainly a, a theme that's popular in film, isn't it? The idea of 
the question, do we know reality? Um, do we even want to know reality? Perhaps is, the, is, is another question. Can we know reality, even if we want to? Yeah. Um, how can we get through our own subjective, personal perspectives to be able to know reality? Can we ever claim to know reality? Um, and no, hmm. In one mug's situation, his reality doesn't equal truth. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That really. These films. Sorry. No, I think it was me. I think I knocked it. It's interesting in a way, as Steve says about the Matrix, and that this is a theme of films and we side with the people who want the truth. In the big court cases as well. Everything. We want the truth to come out. These are the heroes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Finish with one more question. Who? Did anybody else have a question they wanted to ask? Anthony did. Okay, I have to come over to him because he's on the sound desk. Just thinking about that choice between deception and happiness and reality and truth, I wondered if many people today find themselves find themselves in that dilemma. They they're looking for happiness but they find that the truth is that they can't get happiness. So they, they're you know, choosing between, do they just live a deception and pretend that they've got happiness, they've got contentment, when really they haven't? Or do they face up to the fact that life is meaningless and they're never going to find happiness and just you know, live a... Sort of resign to cynicism. Or yeah, to that's right. Yeah. Is that... That's a really interesting idea, isn't it? Yeah, I think many people that I speak to on the streets pretty much resign themselves to this is it. I think many people think, in general, life is really not that good. And so they just carry on living and, and do what they do and get into some routine and have a few enjoy, enjoyments. Uh, but that's it. I, I think expectations maybe are dropped now. It always strikes me is that um, the Bible talks about how um, you don't have love on its own and you don't have faith on its own. You also have hope. And perhaps the answer to resigning ourselves perhaps to cynicism that we can never find happiness or giving ourselves over to just being practical, no big questions can be answered... There's no point trying to think, trying to work out how we get this happiness, how we find this peace. Perhaps the answer there is, is, is hope. Um, that there may be an answer, that there may be somebody searching for me in the same way that I may be searching for God. The Bible promises that if you search for God with all your heart, you will find him. Thank you so much for your contribution. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, it's been a pleasure to be here with you these last couple of days. Can we just say thank you to Tom for this excellent evening? Thank you very much.
uh, said at the beginning, uh, of, this is a bethinking talk, and I think it's fulfilled exactly that, hasn't it? It's made us think, and so we're very grateful for Tom for, for, for leading us in that, which has been absolutely excellent. Um, please stay around and, and chat as long as, as long as you like, within reason. Um, tomorrow, uh, we'll actually be thinking about the same topic in the Sunday morning meeting at 11 o'clock. So if you would like to hear some more and think some more about that, um, please, please come along then. And of course, there's the any questions tomorrow at 6. So uh, it would be great if you, if you wanted to come and hear some more and um, be involved with some more of those things. But anyway, thanks ever so much to everybody.